You're listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast with your host, Jessica Hawks, where we get honest about all things entrepreneurship, balancing life and business, and navigating the world in a digital age. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Digital State of Mind. This is one that I am personally really excited about. We have Dondria Owens on the podcast today, who is the CEO of The Creatives CFO. Lots of C's in there. (laughs) And she's actually my personal CFO as well. So I started working with Dondria recently, and she's been amazing and has taught me a lot about finances. So I think this is going to be a super helpful episode to any of you new service providers or anyone who is established in their business or even anyone who just wants to take more control of their finances. So Dondria, thank you so much for being here. I know this is, we were just talking about how crazy this time of year is for you. So I'm happy that you were able to find time for this. So I'll let you introduce yourself and kind of tell us a bit about you, about your story and how you ended up in the online space. Yeah. Well, thank you for the invitation for sure. Um, my, like you said, my name is Dondria Owens. I'm a CPA and CFO for small businesses and online entrepreneurs. I work primarily with women, but we do have a couple of guys on the client roster as well. Um, but mainly what I work to do is to help you know your numbers and grow your profit from there. And I got into accounting, oh my gosh, a long time ago. I was in public accounting for 10 years in auditing financial statements. So I've always had this love for numbers that dates back to my childhood. And I found a way to combine that with a few creative passions that I had. So the very first business that I had was doing wedding invitations and a small amount of graphic design. And so that's how I came to know the online space and to meet people who were creatives and running really successful businesses, but really didn't have their finger on how well they were doing financially. And then hearing them talk about what tax season looked like for them and felt like for them. And there was this huge amount of dread because a lot of people who were like me, who were accountants, didn't really get what they were doing online. Um, So what that resulted in for them was higher taxes because they didn't know you could deduct certain things um, and just really just overall not understanding business and finances. So I saw a real opportunity to merge two worlds you know, the creative side and the more logical side or of finances and really make it fun for business owners and have it be a tool uh, in the way that it's supposed to be that allows them to really maximize profitability in their business. So that's how I got here. Very cool. So when did you officially start working online? Yeah. Um, with the wedding invitations, I started around 2014 And then I created the Creative CFO at the end of 2017. I sort of gave it a spin. Earlier in the year, I worked with a wedding planner who I still work with to this day. Um, Started working with her, liked what I was doing. And then I just gradually started taking on more clients. And I made it a real thing at the end of that year. So it's been, that's five Five years. years. That's like pretty impressive to be in the online space, I feel like. Because so many of us came into it in the past few years. Yeah. So I feel like it's always interesting to me whenever I see uh, people who are in a career that's very traditionally viewed as a corporate career. Like I feel like bookkeeping and accountants Mm -hmm. and all of that, we think of that as a totally separate world from the online space. So with being in the corporate industry, you know, or corporate world in that industry for so long, what was your impression of the online space whenever you first joined? (laughs) Um, (laughs) it was a free for all. Let me tell you, (laughs) I saw it as a space that had so much opportunity for the people who were in it and running businesses, no matter what you were doing. It was sort of having this place where it was all access. Anyone could enter. It didn't take much to do it. And you just saw people just growing businesses like crazy. Um, So that's kind of what I walked into. But what I wasn't seeing 
you know, were people like me in the space educating them on the things that should they should be doing. So it was almost like I got to be a fly on the wall of of these businesses like that were really solid businesses, but that had no guidance. And so we would see things like, um, you know, advice being given online about how you should be handling your taxes or, you know, I've got all of my money in one account and random things that I would see. And I would cringe as a professional, but then I had to just know they just simply don't know, you know, everyone's figuring it out. And so that sort of fueled a lot of the things that I would put online in the beginning. It was really just really coming from a place of, I just want to help. Um, and so my content is still that way on Instagram today because that is the way that I started. Yeah. And it's, I'm sure that it's so much different. I've, you know, I've only personally in my business worked with two, you know, people for my finances, essentially. I had an accountant in person who was very, I guess the best way to describe it would be old school, you know, very Mm -hmm. used to working with brick and mortar businesses, was totally detached from the online space. And then when I started working with you, I really started to see the difference between mm-hmm. the two and see see how much there was that isn't understood about the online space and about online business owners by accountants who have maybe been in the field for 30 years and are great yes. at what they do, but they're so w- used to working with people in person that they literally can't even like grasp what is happening in the <laughs> online space. So I'm sure you've seen that a lot as well. And you've had to do some yeah. cleanup with things like that. For Probably sure. for me too. But no, I, is- see it, I see it happening you know, like you said, with people who would otherwise be, you know, accountants that I'd be looking up to outside of this space. But really, it is such a niche market that you have Mm -hmm. to understand, really get down and understand someone's business and how things work here, because it is a different ballgame. And you, I have to think back to, to when I first came online, money was a real, still a taboo topic. There weren't as many income Mm -hmm. reports. They were popular, getting popular around that time. Um, And people were still blogging about, you know, their income reports. Now, in 2021 and 22, it's an Instagram post really quickly with a a Stripe receipt. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so much risk even in that, that, you know, I, I want to advise people on that too. You know, there's always opportunity is what I'm saying. And while we grow in one direction with, you know, our our thoughts about money or what we're willing to share, there's Mm -hmm. so much that's still to be learned um, in the online space. Yeah. That is so interesting because I have never really thought about the fact that, we're kind of learning as we go what, you know, mm-hmm. because there's kind of that side of it where there's so many of us, me included, that are like, let's talk about money. Like, let's be open about it. I have, I feel like I have nothing to hide and want to be super transparent about that. And then on the other side, sometimes you don't really think about that, that there can be like legitimate risk involved in that. Yes. I would love to hear you talk more about that. Yeah. Um, one of the things is that, you know, the, the internet is a, open place, open forum, everything's public. And so what you put out there matters. Um, And if you are properly representing yourself, the risk is that, you know, there are people out there who seek to gain from what you have. um, And you open yourself up to so much risk in terms of like people trying to hack your accounts or Mm -hmm. gain, you know, your list. I've got 20,000 followers. I've got 20,000 subscribers on my list. What is the breaking point for someone hacking and securing that list and exploiting your client list? Yeah. You know, we're not really thinking about that. And I bring that up because how many of us have a single password that we use across Mm -hmm. 20 different platforms and we've done it for years. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that, you know, on a low scale, on a much higher scale, you know, sending personal information like that online opens you up as a physical target. You have no idea who is saying that you brought in six figures this month and yeah. who might notice you in a grocery store and you're not right. paying them any attention. Right. You know, so it's a safety thing from that direction as well. And then let's be clear, the IRS exists. So, yeah. you know, if I'm doing my job well, 
And I'm wondering if you reported everything that you should on a return and mm-hmm. you're giving me monthly income reports. I'm going to match it up real quick with your tax return. With the, you know yeah. what I mean? You see that Instagram <laughs> post and you're like, hmm. I'm like, this is the easy checks and balances. I'm just going to pull down the last 12 <laughs> posts, add them up. And <laughs> there you have it. And you're so like, something's not making sense here. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, you know, if you're telling the truth about it and properly recording and reporting things mm-hmm. as you should be, then no foul. But right. if you're misrepresenting yourself in some way, you open mm-hmm. yourself up to the risk of an audit and potentially owing the IRS money that you truly right. might not owe. You know, it, right. it's up for anybody's guess. So I always say, you know, there is a line of privacy that should be maintained around your finances. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be transparent about certain yeah. things, um, but I keep it very high level. Yeah, 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 and it's it's hard because there's we've kind of touched on this throughout this season of of the podcast, but there's no there's not a lot of regulations in the online space, whether it's right. with the coaching industry, whether it's with you know what you're offering to clients, whether it's with your finances. So it can be yeah. really difficult to navigate that because every there's so much nuance involved in everything and everyone's business is so different. Yes. So it makes it really difficult to figure out what that line is that you personally want to maintain in your business, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So whenever you entered into the online space, we kind of touched on how, you know, the there's accountants that are very familiar with in-person businesses and that practice is very different from working with creatives online. What would you see, what do you think is really so unique about money management in terms of freelancers and business owners online as opposed to in-person businesses? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing would be the fluctuations in cash flow from month to month. Um, I see that as a huge, a huge factor for freelancers and solopreneurs. You know, one month might be a really great month and the next month, not so much. Mm -hmm. And really able to plan for that from a cash flow perspective, because without cash, it's impossible to run your business, you know? And I think where your brick and mortar, you know, more traditional accountants might miss the mark on that is say, for instance, I have a client who is getting ready for a launch. And the month before that launch, they're likely going to experience a loss if they're not actively selling or have evergreen products or services running in the background. And if I'm looking at that, it might signal a sign of distress for the business for me if I'm a traditional accountant. But because I understand that businesses are cyclical online and operate on that launch schedule, I might, you know, alert the client and have them be up in arms about it, not knowing that we're just following the regular trend of how this business works. And thousands of other businesses in the same industry operate the same way. Say, for instance, like with graphic designers, I see it a lot. Um, But yeah, it's just really getting an understanding of what businesses work like or look like in a particular space. And then also knowing what expenses are reasonable or not. You know, oh my gosh, a, the biggest debate of them all. <laughs> the biggest debate. You know, I, you, a traditional accountant, and I can say that because I was a traditional accountant, um, I would look at the books and be like, why on earth did they spend $15,000 on ads? This makes no sense. This is draining the business. But then when I, I know that if I see three times return on that investment in terms of what they bring in in the following month when that launch happens, it's all worth it, you know, but a traditional account, you couldn't get them to see that they'd be so focused on the 15 K that she spent. They wouldn't get the the return piece. Right. And with that being said, you know, we, there's such a gray area, I feel like with expenses and it may not be as great from, from your eyes, but it's very difficult starting a business because whenever you start a business, in person, you have a brick and mortar business, it's pretty clear for the most part what your business expenses are. Of course, you still have the factor of, you know, like business lunches and and things like that. But with an online business, there are so many things that are in that gray area. So do you feel like that's an issue with every single business owner online that you work with? Pretty much. And I will tell you with traditional accountants and traditional businesses, you see like meals and entertainment, that is the biggest category. Yeah. You know, it gets questioned. 
But for online businesses, it's typically advertising and marketing that gets questioned. Mm. Because how do you explain to a traditional accountant that the $5,000 that you paid for a photo shoot is a right. write-off? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. They're, They're like, like yeah, no. it's just pictures you taking- of you. <laughs> yes. They, they wouldn't understand it. Or that you hired a videographer to follow you around for a week and see how you do your work. And you're going to use that for Instagram content. They would be mm-hmm. like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Just a different world completely. <laughs> it is. And it, it, it literally, it makes no sense. But to them, it doesn't. But you and I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And how has that changed from like a, a government perspective as well? Because I feel like the, you know, online space, of course, it's been around for a really long time. And there's been a lot of people who have been working in the online space for a while. But we've really yeah. seen the biggest boom of it in the past couple of years. So yeah. has, you know, like the IRS and the government kind of adjusted things according to that? Or is that something that's happening now? Or maybe yeah. they haven't caught up to that yet? What does that look you like know, on your in end? In terms of deductions, not much has changed. It's still expenses must be necessary and ordinary in the course of business. And I think they like keeping it that way um, because it keeps deductions rather subjective. Like, you know, it's it's up for grabs, possibly. You know, we know the things that are necessary and ordinary, typically, but there's a gray area. And I think it's necessary that that gray area is maintained from both sides. It works yeah. for both sides. Um, the places where I have seen a shift um, is in like 1099s and what mm-hmm. is reported as income. Um, mm-hmm. In years past, it's been that business owners were responsible for reporting that information. And if it was determined that you weren't reporting it, then you could be fined for that. Um, but there were still there's still room. Imagine how many business owners are there right. uh, in the U.S. who should be reporting and how right. many don't. And it's hard to gauge that. Um, mm-hmm. So what we've seen happen now, which will go into effect this year, is that, you know, any transactions above that six hundred dollar threshold that used to be there for business owners is now there for payment settlement entities. So mm-hmm. Stripe and Square and PayPal, Venmo, mm-hmm. all of those people now are responsible for sending 1099s to people who receive payments through their platforms. Right. And so in that way, the IRS stands to collect more uh, mm-hmm. on income that was previously unreported. They're really strapping down on it. <laughs> right. Because that, sure. that's the place where it matters most. And I sort of use that as an analogy with a few clients to say, you know, when we're talking about maximizing profitability. And I have some people who start with me and they immediately want to start slashing expenses. And I, I most of the time, it's not where you're going to get the, the most of your profit. It's in what comes in the door. And I mean, mm-hmm. even in this scenario, the IRS is showing us they're not going to come at you for your deductions. Right. They want you to report more of the income that's missing because that's where the mm-hmm. money is. I see. So, yeah. So in the same way they approach it, we have to approach business the same way. Right. You know, that makes sense. And I know that you work with, you know, a lot of younger people that are business mm-hmm. owners and coming like from my experience, I never was taught anything about finances growing mm-hmm. up at all. Like I really yeah. had no idea up until I started my business, what I was doing, what I, why I was saving, how I should be saving, how I should be doing taxes. And then especially yeah. when you are, you know, working in like a typical nine to five job and you get a W2 or something like that, that makes things pretty simple for you. So yeah. you don't really have an understanding of it. Um, so as far as, you know, people who are kind of younger business owners who maybe don't have a lot of knowledge about the financial industry or their taxes in general, what are some of the like biggest stigmas that you see surrounding young young people handling their finances and handling their money as a business owner or even, yeah. you know, just as someone in a nine to five? Yeah, um, that is unpredictable. I've had so many of my clients um, tell me that their parents didn't really get what they were doing online. Yeah. And then it was after they really started making money that they really took interest in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not surprising because they just aren't used to doing business in this way. That's not the way they likely made a living. Right. So it seems very foreign to them. Um, and, and with that, they just don't have a lot to give us in that sense. And we're having to le- kind of learn as we go. Um, they might refer out their accountant, which is 
never good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone, everyone's family has an accountant that they use or everyone yeah. has an accountant in their family. <laughs> right. It's somebody's uncle who has been doing their taxes for years yeah. upon years. Um, but he's just not savvy enough to to get this mm-hmm. online space thing. And, yeah. um, but that is that is it. That's the biggest stigma. But you know what? I do work with a lot of young business owners. And the one thing I will say is that you are all engaged mm-hmm. in what the business is doing, what you can do to support your own life and how you can prepare for the future. And mm-hmm. I think more more people need to know that that is what today's business owner looks like. You know, it's very engaged in the numbers and that I love seeing it. And I love like helping with that because I know armed with the right information, if you've been able to grow the business that you had to this point with better information, you'll go even further faster. Yeah. And I think some of that maybe comes from the fact that starting a business or being a business owner in general feels very empowering in the sense that when we are maybe in a nine to five and getting a W-2 and kind of just in that flow of things, we don't really have the knowledge, but we also feel like, well, I'm just kind of doing the same thing every year. So maybe I don't need the knowledge. And we just kind of throw our hands up at that. And it puts us in that place of feeling like we don't have the power. We don't have the knowledge. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're a business owner, you have to like, you know, sometimes we put it off and wait a while to get our QuickBooks in order or to open our business bank account, whatever it is. But eventually there comes a breaking point in your business where you are like, if you're not on top of it from the beginning, eventually there's going to be a point where you're like, oh boy, (laughs) I have a lot of work to Mm -hmm. catch up on or else my business is just going to go down in flames, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of opportunity lost during Mm -hmm. that time, you know, because with the right info, you know, knowing what, what your profit and loss looks like every single month, it gives you time to course correct when you need to. You know, you can see that in real time. If you're waiting until the end of the year to then try and compile it all, no, not only will it stress you out, you know, but you'll also not have any time to correct. So it's, yeah, it's a win for you to, to do this regularly. Monthly yeah. is what I suggest. Yeah, for sure. And it makes it there's so much stress off of your shoulders whenever you're on top of it in that way. Mm -hmm. So as far as you know, kind of the misconceptions about younger people in the online industry in general, what do you feel like are the best ways for people who are starting a business or for people who are already established business owners to kind of fight against that and equip themselves to feel like they actually can, you know, handle their finances and know what they're doing confidently? Yeah. I would say your first step is to get an accountant. You can, I, you, there's no way around it. It's not a person that you want to be looking for when you're already stressed out and either right. it's time to do taxes or worst case scenario, you're getting a request for an audit. Mm. So have someone that you, even if you don't have them on retainer, you need to at least have an accountant that you've had a consultation with who understands what you do and can advise you on the best way to organize that and set that up. Um, There's always two people that I recommend for businesses starting out, and that's an accountant and an attorney. Have both Mm -hmm. of those in your back pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, just to be proactive with it. Mm -hmm. I think, I think a lot of, I think, you know, I work with a lot of new business owners and I think that they're, A lot of their confusion lies around two things. How do I find a good accountant in the first place? And then am I going to be able to afford someone to help me with that regularly? What what would you say about those two things? Yes. So finding an accountant means you've got to interview them. Um, And we used to have, and I'm pretty sure it's still on my website on the blog, there was a checklist for interview questions to ask anyone that you were interviewing in either capacity, bookkeeper, accountant, CPA, whomever, um, to just really think about the things that are most important to you and to see where that person stands on it. What is the way that they advise you? You know, how do they do that? Um, do they do your bookkeeping every month? Do they reconcile to the bank statement? You would be surprised how many bookkeeping systems I have reviewed where there's no monthly reconciliation done. And what that tells me is that we're not sure about if there are errors and omissions in what's there. 
And so knowing what questions to ask someone and then listening for the response and seeing if that lines up with what you've learned. But the real thing is that as a business owner, you're going to have to do your due diligence as well. So that means learning on your end um, and bonus points if you find an accountant who likes to educate, you know, yeah, that takes and, you a lot further. And can you kind of walk through what those differences are between having an accountant versus yeah. having a bookkeeper versus having, you know, whatever it is because and yeah. how that benefits your business? Because I think that's another point of confusion is what do I need? Do I need all of them? At what yeah. point do I introduce them into my business? Yeah. Okay. And this, there's the hierarchy in accounting world is a little bit weird. So mm -hmm. I'll start at the, not the bottom rung, but kind of the bottom rung. So okay. you've got the bookkeeper. This person typically uses some software, whether it's QuickBooks Online, which we use, or Xero, or even Wave Apps. They go in, they put your, your transactions in the right category, and they will often reconcile to the bank statement. What that means is the bank balance that's in your accounting system matches the bank balance at the, at the bank. It's just like balancing your personal checkbook. Right. So they do that. Which none of us have, a lot of us have never done in our lives. <laughs> in the age of the debit card, it, it just doesn't happen. Every time someone asks me for a check or like a voided check, I'm like, this is going to be a whole ordeal for me now. <laughs> oh my gosh. But that is really what it's like, though, you know, just balancing back, making sure you match up with the bank and a bookkeeper can do that for you. Now, we come up a rung and there's the accountant. The accountant will take those reports and make sense of them. So they're looking to see, OK, they've got this much in revenue. Um, how much of that was actually collected? So we're going to look back at accounts receivable and see what's there. Well, if it costs them this much to produce X number of services, then I would anticipate seeing maybe double that for a month, double the size. And we try to see, you know, do the, the statements make sense, you know, from a right. common sense standpoint, from what we see. Right. So that would be the accountant. And then there's the CPA. So most of the time you'll have, let me say this about the CPA, the CPA and an enrolled agent are the only two people who can represent you in an audit. So oh, your okay. bookkeeper can't, and a regular accountant could not. Wow, I didn't know that. Yes, that's it. So I, I hmm. always advise people, if you're getting talking about getting taxes done, make sure that person has a CPA license or is an enrolled agent with the IRS. Anybody hmm. else, keep them away from your taxes. Okay. So that there's sense. that. Now, can a CPA do bookkeeping? Absolutely. I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, can, can a CPA function as an accountant and make sense of the statements? I do it all the time, have to. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get up to the CFO. Does a CFO have to be a CPA? No, not at all. There's many CPA, well, CFOs who have a finance background, which is very different than an accounting background. Right. What's important for that CFO is that they truly understand your business and that they can put numbers and financial sense to what's happening in your business and help you project and forecast out according to the CEO. So the CFO works really closely with the CEO. I was going to say, does that do they function more so in a spot of advising and kind yes. of helping with that growth versus like getting their hands dirty with it? Absolutely. So on our team with at the Creative CFO, I'm the CFO. Paige is our lead accountant. And then there are bookkeepers under her. So just looking at that structure, it really is an entire accounting department outsourced. And if that's what your business needs, then that's great. But if what you need is just someone to make sure it's all in the accounting system, you can get by with a bookkeeper. But the moment you start needing strategy and someone to help you with the overall working of the business and how to make some big things happen, you're likely moving up the ladder. Okay. And then yeah. with an accountant, they are mostly functioning. Like how are they functioning mostly for, yeah. the, for the most part? For the most part, they are reviewing the, the statements to make sure they make sense. So reviewing the work of the bookkeeper is the best way to, to describe them. Got it. That yeah. makes sense. So with, I feel like a lot of us put off our finances because we're scared about it, even though it's mm -hmm. kind of in the back of our head. And, you know, even thinking about retirement and things like that, I feel like so many of us aren't 
taught about it or we're maybe used to being in the corporate world where we have a 401k or something like yeah. that and it's kind of done for us. Yeah. What did that journey look like for you? Like what at mm-hmm. what point and what or what age did you really start to learn about finances and become educated on that? What did your journey look like? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm still learning. Um, because yeah. there's always something new. The latest mm-hmm. thing I've been learning is about crypto. I just yeah. really want to understand <laughs> how they wave. <laughs> My crypto and NFTs, I need to get it, you know? Oh um, so, but yeah, I would say college for me did it. Um, and I'll share a story. I don't know that I've ever shared, but college Ooh, credit cards. the secret got, info. I know, the juicy <laughs> stuff. Um, college credit cards got me just like everyone else. Um, I went into college being a biology major for three years. Right. And like I said, I've always loved numbers, but I didn't see um, myself achieving this this type of career or, Mm -hmm. you know, what I consider success in a role like that. I thought I needed to be a doctor. Right. So it was after three years in biology that I said, I'm done. I walked out of class and into the business school with no idea of where I was going. Um, but I met a really nice woman um, in the accounting office who was an advisor. And she was like, let's just plan out the rest of your college career. And I'm so thankful to her still to this day because it was exactly where I needed to be. But yeah. um, it was then that I started to really like hone in on personal finance even And seeing that I had credit cards as a student and thinking like, why on earth would someone give me Mm -hmm. this amount of leverage (laughs) as a student with no job? Um, And just really understanding, you know, that it wasn't just happening to me and to it was happening to all of my friends on campus as well. Yeah. And so that that triggered me to really start to learn more. So. My introduction into personal finance was um, Susie Orman. I don't know if you remember her. (laughs) I've heard the name. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, She was huge at the time. And Dave Ramsey, of course, everyone knows Dave. Um, But just seeing those. And there was another woman um, who had a book that had a budget in the back. And I would swear by this budget for like years. (laughs) Was it your budget Bible? (laughs) Yes. I even put it in Excel, honey, and was was tracking the budget. So... You know, it's it's things like that. It's really taking the time to say, what are my goals? What do I want to achieve in this lifetime? And what do I want my money to look like? And then allowing yourself to be curious. So mm-hmm. reading books, listening to podcasts, um, there's too many out there to even name now about money. Yeah. Everybody knows like the Jen Sincero books, you know, mm-hmm. you're a badass at making money. Right. Um, right. Those are common, but there's also earn your leisure which is Mm -hmm. a huge podcast that also has a YouTube channel. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really speaks to millennials and money. So Mm -hmm. there's so many resources. I say take advantage of everything that's out there and follow your curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's what you were saying about racking up like so much credit card debt. I I also think that that's so crazy that we are so ill-equipped to deal with it, but then we mm-hmm. we find ourselves, I mean, by the time I was when I was 23, I was almost $20,000 in debt. And the trap <laughs> yeah, it's such a yeah. trap. And you once you start making money in your business, you're like, oh, I you know can pay off all my debt. But when you're in that moment of working a nine to five and like barely getting by, and you have twenty thousand dollars of debt, that mm-hmm. is enough to give you like crippling anxiety every single day. Right. And I was I remember personally feeling so embarrassed about it. Like I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to open my banking app. Like I just yeah. wanted to pretend that it didn't even exist. Yeah. And I think that that's what usually at least maybe this is kind of coming undone now because we do talk about it a lot more, but yeah. it wasn't really as much at the time. And you feel like you failed when you find yes. yourself in that situation. Mm-hmm. And something that I've really had to let go of is feeling like, well, I've started a successful business now. That means that I should know everything about my finances. And I'm like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I come to you all the time messaging yes. you with questions <laughs> and you know trying to get help about it because there's so much to learn about it. Yes. And for those people who maybe are in those situations where they are, you know, 
in debt or feel really embarrassed about it or feel like they're kind of in quicksand, what would you say are their first tangible steps that can help them start to undo that? Yeah. Um, The very first step is to get really clear on what it is that you owe. Um, Sometimes I've seen situations where people owe so many different people, different amounts that they have, they just know they're in debt and they feel like they're sinking. And sometimes it's not as bad as they think um, to just, but you, you need a clear picture of it. And then the second step, make more money, not getting your latte at Starbucks, cutting back on your grocery bill. None of those things are going to truly help you um, as quickly as making more money will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's it's hard whenever you start feeling like you have to cut out the day to day things. Like I know we've you know the whole thing Mm -hmm. is oh Dave Ramsey's like don't go to Starbucks and people are like is that really the solution Mm -hmm. to my freaking debt problems? And it's but it's it's hard. Like you can't do that. You can't live every single day of your life not spending any money in order to hopefully pay this debt debt off. Yeah, (laughs) right. you can't. And and then as far as like, you know, because I know there's a lot of people that have like student loans and then credit card debt and then maybe they have a mortgage or a car or something like that. What is the like hierarchy of what should be paid first for people who are in that situation? Yeah. Um, so in, in any case, when you're paying off debt, the smartest thing to do is to pay off the highest interest debt first. Mm-hmm. That's going to save you the most over time. But I also have some people where I see that they're motivated by completing things. So Mm -hmm. if there is a small balance, if we can knock a small balance out and they feel Mm -hmm. accomplished, they're more likely to keep doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's it's whatever your personality finds motivating, uh, really, at the end of the day. Is that the uh, snowball method? Is yeah, that what so, it's called? No. So no, that one is- I, I like, remember I seeing all of those whenever yeah. I was like in debt and I was like, how do I freaking go? <laughs> I've seen the snowball method, the avalanche method, but no, it's <laughs> what it means is that you would take what you were previously paying on that card and then you snowball it, add it to the payment on the next high ranking card. And so oh, in that okay. way, the payment keeps growing, but okay. you always still have a, a ton of money, you know, going towards debt in that way. Right. So it helps it work faster, but not faster than making more money. And I think you would agree starting your business was the best thing you could have done because imagine working a nine to yeah. five, having to pay for your regular monthly expenses, which by the way, are going up because mm-hmm. of inflation. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was just in line at Starbucks today. I'll use this as an example. I haven't been to Starbucks in so long, but I went for myself today. And I remember I used to get this toasted cheese Danish and a tea and I paid like mm-hmm. five bucks. Uh-huh. Today it was seven. And I thought they got my order wrong. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, that'll be $50. And you're like, uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, she did say seven, right? You know, and then I had to think about it. Everything's going up. Mm-hmm. It's just what it is. But I can't, yeah. and I don't think any of us really can, in our in our minds, like really wrap your mind around, you know, a dollar here, a dollar there mm-hmm. being a deal breaker for you. So right. the answer to that is making more money, whether it's full-time or part-time entrepreneurship, because I'm right. not opposed to either. Right. Yeah, that's so true. Because I remember whenever I was making payments on my credit card, I would make payments and then the the interest was so high yes. that I had basically done nothing. Like yes. I basically just got by for that mm-hmm. month without making any actual progress on it. So yeah. then when I was at the point where I, you know, I had been trying to pay that debt off for years mm-hmm. and within, I remember I started my business in March, by September, I paid off the full remainder of the debt, which by that yeah. point I think was 17K. That, and yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? Like I've been working mm-hmm. my butt off for yes. years trying to pay this off. And within six months of starting a business online, I have the cash to be able to do that, yeah. which is so crazy. And I think along the the same line, whenever we start a business, it's when and whenever you start making that type of cash flow, it, even if it's just you know 
maybe double your corporate job or whatever you're used to, mm-hmm. that can be so shocking to us that sometimes we're tempted to spend that money in other ways versus yeah. prioritizing you know, the financial obligations that we have that have been stressing us out. Mm-hmm. So what would you have any tips for kind of money mindset when it comes to that mm-hmm. once you start seeing that type of cash flow? Yeah. So I'm all about balance. I think that it's good to have a reward and that, you know, we should be rewarded along the way. And that's how I work. Not everyone does. Some people don't need the reward. The reward is paying off the debt. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like there's a way for you to live life and elevate your life in some ways, but also still take care of your lingering responsibilities. Um, And then I'm also a fan of having a single priority at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, because when everything is urgent and priority, nothing really is. It's, you know, right. it's a show. Um, but I, that's kind of the way I advise clients too, is I say, listen, what is the real priority here moving forward? Is it that we pay you an, an amount that, you know, sustains your living? Mm-hmm. Or is it that you grow this team to, you know, three or four people? What What's mm-hmm. the real priority? And a lot of times it is being able to take care of themselves. And so we start there and then everything else has to grow on top of that Um, because it's hard to to have three or four different goals in the forefront Mm -hmm. when it comes to money. It just there's not enough, usually enough to go around in that way. Um, But you can make significant impact on a single goal and then move to the next one. Right. That makes sense. And something else that I wanted to uh, touch on with you, because growing up, like I mentioned, I was never really taught about finances or money. And, you know, I think that that was a repercussion of my parents not being taught and their parents not being taught and, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, my parents were even in a situation where they did really well. They had a business of their own, but they were never really taught to plan for retirement or things like that. So they found themselves in a not so great situation as they got older and they didn't have that business anymore. So my first question is, what is really priority for especially people who are kind of younger or business owners or not necessarily even younger, but people who have found themselves kind of going through life and not having those um, things set up for their future, what would you say is, again, kind of the hierarchy of what you should prioritize to make sure that you're setting yourself up to be comfortable in your future and not find yourself in a really bad situation? Yeah. So for business owners that are doing really well in business and able to pay themselves, um, the thing that we look at is having them open up something called a SEP IRA. And being able to max out on contributions to that, if that fits their cash flow and where things sit today. Um, But even if you can't max it out, maybe putting in enough to get your maximum tax deduction, or if not that, just something and setting up regular recurring deposits into that account. Um, That is the best thing. The other is keeping your debt load low because in your retirement, you're not going to want to be paying off debt. You're not going to want to be paying off a house or paying off a car. Those things should already Mm -hmm. be paid for. Um, And then, but at the same time, squirreling away cash today that could be used as an investment, it's not the answer either. So there, again, there's balance. It's deciding, you know, around what age do I plan to retire? And what is, Mm -hmm. what does my life look like? Who am I supporting during that time? And uh, you know, thinking about inflation, what might I need to have on hand every month to just to live? Um, mm-hmm. And then setting your accounts up in that way. Because, yeah, $30,000 in a retirement account when you retire 30 years from now, that's great. But today, you could have invested in stocks and had a much greater return than mm-hmm. having it sitting in that IRA. Mm-hmm. So it's just thinking about things like that. I say, for once you get to that stage where you've got cash to invest, investing in a financial planner is key. Right. Mm-hmm. And how does that play into because I feel like now we've been so used to that timeline of okay, you graduate college, you work in corporate, you t- retire when you're 62, 65, whatever that looks mm-hmm. like. Maybe you're lucky if you retire in your 50s. I feel like that 
scene has completely changed with online businesses because people are able to see so much profit in a condensed amount of time. Mm -hmm. Usually what they would have made over the entirety of their corporate career in such a short time. So how does that play into people trying to retire so much earlier, sometimes in their thirties? In their thirties or forties. Yes. Um, We see it a lot, you know, but again, when and I have seen this too, people retiring at 30 from one business and starting something else because yeah. our earning potential doesn't go away just because we've been successful at this one thing and now we're set for life. Um, you've still you've still got some ground to cover, you know, or or some mm-hmm. thoughts or ideas to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I say if someone is truly retired and plans to have a long life, whatever they have has to sustain them for you know whatever mm-hmm. those number of years look like, whether it's another 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, just my personal uh, thoughts on retirement. I want to work until I'm ready to retire or until right. the ideas stop coming or whatever yeah. that looks like. Um, because for me, it's not just about me. It's future family. It's mm-hmm. the kids, their kids mm-hmm. and what might that look like. So um yeah, wealth looks a little bit differently for everyone, but right. um, you just got to define it. And can yeah. you give, because I think this is like a big point of confusion for a lot of people. Can you kind of break down how, for example, let's say someone kind of puts a lump sum of like $200,000 into a retirement account over a few years or whatever that mm-hmm. looks like. How mm-hmm. exactly are people able to retire at say 30 and then that amount that they've invested lasts them? Because it's it's not a matter of it just sitting there. Some of it has to come out. Like what does that process look like? Yeah. So when it's in a retirement account, it is invested in funds or, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, Behind the scenes, it is invested. And so it has earnings um, Mm -hmm. that take it from just that original contribution to even more. But yeah, it is a declining balance situation. Like you said, it's not just staying there. Um, And 200K, I know that was the example, but you know, never. It would not survive. (laughs) Right. It would not sustain. Right. Um, So it's really it's really contributions over time and continuing Mm -hmm. that year over year um, and reducing the debt load, which then reduces the requirement of cash that you have. So Mm -hmm. it takes that, you know, 200, 400,000, whatever it looks like. And it is a monthly stipend that you're taking, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And if your requirement isn't, you know, that high, it's just your living expenses. That's enough. You know, when we think about what we need on a monthly basis, it's not a lot lot when you just think about food and utilities and possibly gas or whatever. Um, It's when you factor in all the other things like a car payment, a house note or things like that, that make the monthly requirement go up or children or tuition expenses, all of those things. Right. Yeah. And uh, this kind of ties back into, you know, talking about the situation with my parents and not really learning about those things. I know that you have kids um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I want to have kids. I know that a lot of our listeners and a lot of, you know, students that I've taught um, also have kids or will in the future. Mm -hmm. How do we kind of equip ourselves to be able to teach them good financial habits or teach them maybe like break that generational pattern that maybe our parents didn't instill into us? Yeah, it's a lot of it is conversation. So Mm -hmm. I love the fact that I run this business from home because my kids get to see me doing it and they get Mm -hmm. to ask questions and I get to show them. Um, They've been on calls with you guys, like they popped in. So um, it's having conversation. It's Mm -hmm. keeping an open door. It's letting them go to the store with you and Mm -hmm. sit with you when you pay bills or, you know, all of those things. Um, I tell my kids when we're out, you know, what things cost and I try to relate it to you know, something that they might get. So I'll say when we go to Panera and Mm -hmm. we spend 20 bucks at Panera and I'll tell them the three bath bombs that we bought at Target today (laughs) equal Panera. (laughs) (laughs) It's putting it on their level. But you know what? I've done the same thing with, you know, people the same age as me because it is a a different concept, you know, to Mm -hmm. understand like, 
I just need to put it in a way that you will get. And you could yeah. be a baby in your finances and let's just learn our way up, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I put it into that. perspective. Mm-hmm. And for, how old were you when you started your business online? Yeah, I was in my 30s. I just had my son. So I was 30, 30 or 31. Okay. Because Mm -hmm. I feel like there is, I mean, 30 is very young. (laughs) 30 is the new 20, right? But I have so many people who reach out to me or who, you know, sign up for my, my courses or classes who were like, I was afraid that I was too old to do this. And they're, you know, only 30 or even sometimes 40. I've also had students that are in their 50s. And I love that because I think it's so cool whenever people don't feel like they're too old, quote unquote, to do something. Um, Can you kind of speak on that? Like coming into the online space at 30 and then over the years, like your mindset surrounding that? Because I think that a lot of people feel Mm -hmm. like they can only do it if they are, you know, early 20s or something like that. Yeah. No, it's never too late. Yeah. If there's something that you want to do and you've still got energy left, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's absolutely never too late until until it is and until it's your last day. And mm-hmm. that is kind of the way I approach anything in business. It's worth a try. Um, yeah. Our 20s, 30s, even our 40s, you will never feel the way you feel now, have as much energy as you have now, or be willing even to take the risk that you are now. Um, In your 50s and 60s, it'll truly be risky then. Um, But even then, go out on a limb and and bet on yourself. And I've never been disappointed when I do that. Right. And for people who maybe kind of got a little started a little bit later with their finances and Mm -hmm. things like that, what would your advice be to someone who maybe is even like in their 50s, for example, or late 40s, who... Mm weren't taught, weren't, you know, secure on their finances, didn't know what to do and kind of find them in a situation or find themselves in a situation where they're like, I'm not really prepared for retirement. What does that look like for for that? It's even more important to make more money because your savings contributions have to be accelerated because you're going to reach retirement age faster than a 20 or 30 year old. So yes, you in that situation absolutely need to save more. Um, it's sort of the mix that you think about, you know, when we were contributing to 401ks in our 20s, you mm-hmm. had to choose a percentage mix, how much you wanted in stocks and how much you mm-hmm. wanted in bonds and so forth. It might mean that, you know, whereas before you had 90% in stocks and 10% in bonds, and they said that was good for your 20s. And then as you near retirement age, you start moving more money over to bonds. And you do that because it's less volatile than stocks. If you're in your 50s and you didn't invest in your 20s, you're going to have to assume a bit more risk. So you can't invest with the same strategy as a 20 or 30 year old. You, you've got to grow faster and quicker. So that's that more contributions sense. and more risk. Right. And can yeah. you explain to the listeners what the difference between stocks and bonds are? Yeah. So... At the end of the day, like think of think of like Apple stock. You can go online and, and right now there's so many different ways to invest. You know, there's TD right. Ameritrade, there's Stockpile, mm-hmm. you name it. You can even invest through Cash App now. Yeah. Um, but you are buying a share of stock or a, a share of ownership in a company. And so that stock either appreciate or depreciates based on how well mm-hmm. that company does. Um, And that's open for anyone to buy. You don't even have to buy a full share. You can buy partial. Um, Stocks are a little bit different in that the amount of return on those is lower um, and you have to hold them for a certain period of time Mm -hmm. without boring you. Google stocks versus bonds and you Mm -hmm. can read all you want about the difference. But just know that there's a greater potential for earning on stocks because they do go along with the earnings of the company. Um, And they sort of, one of the things I I would say here too, is where a financial planner is really great at helping you prepare for retirement. And I don't think that you have to wait to have that conversation until you're nearing retirement age. I see that being a huge mistake that people make. Um, Talk to them in your twenties and thirties and really have a clear strategy. They're great at that. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're also great at educating. I have one that I work with who is fantastic and has helped me learn so much. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're in the online space too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. There's, I, I remember my, um, my boss and his wife that I worked for before I went into the online space. Um, they, I, I always looked up to them because they had, since they were like in their twenties, really tried to like educate themselves on finances mm-hmm. and had a financial planner invested in stocks. And it's so funny because I still, you know, see them quite often mm-hmm. and their son is like, I think he's 17 now, mm-hmm. but he just like, owns me on all of this finance stuff, like investing, uh-huh. crypto, everything. He just knows everything about it. And I'm just like, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah. It's crazy how much that translates over into other people whenever you or your family, you know, yeah. your kids, whenever you are exposed to it and kind of start talking about it early versus, you know, yes. when you have to. Yeah. It definitely elevates the conversation, mm-hmm. you know, because it is very much like a if you think going along a timeline, mm-hmm. you can't get to the next step without clearing, you know, points right. A and B. It's really hard right. to get to see. And so I tell people, if you're stuck focusing on debt, get out of debt and then let's focus on every day. And then let's focus on investing. And then let's talk about what you're investing in and right. whether that's real estate or stocks or or crypto or NFTs. Then it's very much like that. Yeah. Um, I see people trying to hopscotch across that and you simply can't. Right. Yeah. got to have patience, even though it's yep. hard. <laughs> got to work your way. So yeah. you mentioned uh, you mentioned crypto and NFTs. What's your oh. opinion on that? I bet you have business owners asking you about that constantly oh my gosh. now. Listen, I asked myself about it. Um, it is... <laughs> It is new territory for me. It's the one place where I feel I feel like the old traditional account. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm making sure that I'm not staying there. So I'm learning about it. But yeah, I, I don't have a clear grasp. I'm still very much a baby in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, but it's I, so crazy. I am playing around. Yeah, absolutely. I'm playing around. But to me, it feels more like gambling at the moment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm definitely going to still be in the game. <laughs> yeah, my dad called me the other day. And he was like, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna invest in Bitcoin. And I was like, Okay, well, can you like wait until I'm with you so I can like help you do it? And then he calls me the next day and he's like, I just went ahead and did it. I just did it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Tell him get a Coinbase account and have at it. He just becomes like a multimillionaire from crypto. I'm like, uh, <laughs> this happened. Oh my gosh. So um, I had, <laughs> this is funny. I will regret saying this, but I was looking at NFTs and I wasn't paying attention and I was looking at the cost and I was like, oh, it's really not that bad. And then I had to think about it. I was like, wait, this is in cryptocurrency. That's the equivalent of like $100,000. And I just shut it down. I, like it's, it's a wrap. Wild. I will. I I started having more of an understanding of crypto, and then it's like, okay, now NFTs. <laughs> I cannot keep up with all this. I just, I yeah. yeah, it's so it's such a different world. And if you're not like trying to learn about it as it's happening, it's like the same with the online space. It moves yeah. so fast that if yes. you're not in it, it's very hard to reinsert yourself in it. Absolutely. I feel like it's the same way with finances. You will get it's left just, behind. So yeah. don't. Just like I said, follow your curiosities. If there's something you don't know, Google first and then mm-hmm. learn from there. Get books, yeah. go to the library, find people who are subject matter experts. They're out there. Um, yeah. And just, yeah, just ask lots of questions and it'll take you mm-hmm. so far. So uh, kind of along the same note, do you have any um, like sneaky financial tricks for new <laughs> entrepreneurs to know or your favorite resources, apps, yeah. things like that? Yeah. So for new entrepreneurs, I try to keep your expenses really low. So Wave apps carry me so far. Um, mm-hmm. I used it with the wedding invitations business that I had before. It was the mm-hmm. sole accounting software that I use. Yeah, I love I Wave. To, yeah, I use it to invoice, to track um, expenses, all of those things. Mm-hmm. So that would be my software recommendation. Um, keep receipts for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I oh think gosh, that, that's so hard for us. <laughs> a paper receipt, I'm like, don't need that. <laughs> Take a picture with your phone and yeah. have an album that's just receipts. Mm-hmm. Because in that first year of doing business, I kept all of my receipts. I did the classic shoebox of receipts. Yeah. 
Um, and then at the end of the year, some of those receipts had disappeared. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, a receipt, like the ink just like Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was just like, so why did I keep it? Like, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So whatever. That's a, yeah. If, the, if you ever get <laughs> audited, just say all your ink disappeared off the receipts. <laughs> so there's that. Um, and then I would say having at least a consultation with mm-hmm. an accountant who really understands the type of business that you have. Right. And having them offer you some pointers. You don't have to be on retainer. Have mm-hmm. a consult and talk mm-hmm. through what they're seeing, what they recommend to help you put together a budget mm-hmm. that has helped so many businesses go really far. Um, there's no there's no corporation that's operating without one. And right. if you're in the business of you, you need one, too. So yeah. having just that baseline of what success looks like and then always having that point to come back to. And, and that's really usually not much of an investment to just have a consultation with someone. Right. Like it's obviously more of an investment if you are doing something month to month, like you said, yeah. but mm-hmm. you can do that when you get to that point. You know, it's exactly. really, it's not a huge, and you, what I always try to like, say to students, especially people in DCA is that accountants and, and people who are helping with you with your finances usually end up paying for themselves because yes. they, in the long run, are saving you so much money. Whether mm-hmm. it's advising you on your expenses and you end up saving you know more money on taxes than you would have on your own because you don't know all of the right. you know, insider things that, that people mm-hmm. in that world know or whatever it is, it always pays for itself. So yeah. it's so worth it. Like that's a, a huge thing to reinvest the money you make in your business back into. Yes. I would agree. And as as far as budgets go, like how would you suggest someone starts to make a budget? Maybe someone who, you know, of course it's best to like talk to an accountant if you are a business owner, but maybe mm-hmm. someone who is in a nine to five right now and wants to eventually, you know, transition into the online space or maybe doesn't have the budget to have that consultation right now. How would you suggest they start? Is there an app that you like or a, like a system that you like and kind of yeah. just the general framework of that? Yep. So I have on my website, it's called The Believable Budget. Um, Mm -hmm. You can download it, but here's the, and you can do this on just a normal sheet of paper too, if you'd want. Um, Mm -hmm. You write down all of the expenses that you have right now. So software expenses, most common. Most people aren't renting an office or anything like that. So really that's it. Um, And if there are um, processing fees, that's the other thing. Like if you've got money coming in the door, you know, processing fees are about 3% of whatever right. comes in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that software costs any advertising and marketing costs. Like if you spend a little bit on ads here and there, um, anything like that. So just look mm-hmm. at all of your expenses. If you can't think of those things off the top of your head, look at the last three months of your bank statements and determine what you've been spending money on. And then are all of those things necessary? If they are, then tally them up. That is the minimum amount that you need to make to break even. So anything beyond that is pure profit. And how much profit do you want to make is the next question. And so from there, we look at profitability. And then I like to break it up into three buckets. So there's the 50% that you should pay yourself. So let's say that profit number ends up being 4K. You're going to pay yourself 2K. The other 2K is going to be split between taxes and savings. I call it the Mm. 50-30-20 method on my blog. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just a great way to get started with making sure you cover all of your bases. You cover paying you. You cover saving for your taxes. So that's not a surprise. Uh, And you cover business savings. So anything emergent that comes up, um, you've got money to cover it. Yeah. And I think something else that's helped me a lot is being getting comfortable with looking in my bank, looking at my statements, looking at what I'm spending money on because yeah. it's so easy to just swipe and not even think about it. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, where did all my money go? Yes. <laughs> and I find that when I'm actually looking at it and kind of paying attention to where I'm spending my money, mm-hmm. I'm so much more conscientious about, okay, do I actually want this? Do I actually need it? And not being you know, so stern with it that I don't spend money on things that make me happy, but so that I'm not spending on things that I don't really need or that I already have or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So So, uh, 
This has been so insightful. Last question I have for you is if you could give any financial advice to your younger self, what would that be? Oh, this is a good no, one. it's a big one. <laughs> Ending it with a bang. Yes. So I would tell my younger self that, oh my gosh, I used to get told so many times money doesn't grow on trees. And I have a whole money tree sitting here on my desk to remind me that it is what we make of it, Mm -hmm. that there's always money to go around, that money Mm -hmm. loves to be in motion, um, and that I can't keep uh, such a strong hold on what I have and expect to receive more. You have to open that hand up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's something that I worked on for myself for years to not have that scarcity mindset is what they call it. Um, is to just know that money is always in flow. And Mm -hmm. for as long as you're living and breathing, you can make more. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's what I would tell me. It's so funny how those phrases, it shows how much they stick with us when you remember it decades later and just kind of Uh subconsciously limits ourselves throughout our whole life. So I love that. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Well, Dondria, thank you so much for being here. We will, I'll be talking to you a lot (laughs) around this time of year. So (laughs) we'll we'll talk again soon, but this was so fun for all of the listeners. Uh, Dondria is amazing. She has a really great team. And do you want to kind of let them know what your availability looks like? I'm sure there's going to be people wanting to work with you from this, or, you know, if you um, always refer people to someone else you trust. If, if, if you're booked up, what that looks like for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I am always on Instagram. You can find me at the creative CFO and mm-hmm. I do answer my DMs. So if you DM, yes. it's me. Um, and also you can go to my website, thecreativecfo.com. We currently have a wait list up so you can add your name and email address to that. And when we have openings, we definitely reach out to the list first. Uh, before going online or letting anyone know. So join the list. Yay. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. We'll make sure to put Dondria's info in the show notes so that you can all go find her and get on her wait list if you want. And I will talk to everyone in the next episode. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Digital State of Mind podcast. I am your host, Jessica Hawks, and I am so happy to have you here. Follow along with us on Instagram at the Digital State of Mind so that we can stay connected with you and get your feedback on what you want to hear on the show. I know everyone says this, but we're serious, okay? <laughs> Talk to you next time.